0: Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Amen. Amen. It's good to see you all today. Welcome to the 11 o'clock service. We already had a 9:30 service and uh, great to gather with God's people. Thank you, Michael. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Walters. Give him a round of applause for Michael. Praise God for Michael. Michael's one of our deacons, life group leaders, singer, songwriter, Grammy award winner. No, it's probably, I probably went a little bit far there, but uh, grateful for Michael and Jill Walters and uh, their family, been a part of us for a long time. Thank you, Philip. Well, yeah, we're, we're in worship. We're in the house of the Lord. This Wednesday night, uh, we're going to gather again, and we're just going to pray. There is just something amazingly uh, good for the soul to come together to pray. These days can make our soul just kind of feel sapped of all energy. I don't know if you have that experience, but you're just like, man, I, I just need to be filled up. I just need to be encouraged. I just need to sit in the presence of the God of the universe and that's what we'll be doing this Wednesday night at 633 Pray First. encourage you to join us, and we'll be socially distanced, and, um, but we're just going to pray. And uh, I hope that you'll join us. I hope that you'll have that sense of just being in the presence of the Lord. It's one of my favorite times of the month, and I hope you'll be a part of it. Well, yeah, we're, uh, we're talking about this vision that we have, and it's very simple. You wonder, why do I go to church? Why does the church exist? What are we all about? What's the bottom line? Very simple. We want to make Jesus known. We want to make Jesus known in a very dark world that has a very warped view of who he is in a lot of cases. So we want to be accurate and clear and loving, and we want to make him known. And I'm grateful that this week, I believe, Betty and Robert Gravens will have been married 140 years. Praise God. Let's give a round of applause. Actually, it's 70, right? It's 70, right, this week? Praise the Lord. Let's give them a round of applause right here, right back here. Faithful, faithful, faithful members of our church for many years. So grateful for you. Some of the most encouraging people you will ever meet. And if you don't know Robert and Betty, you should get to know them. Uh, they have battled through many things, including COVID, uh, in about... What two days, three days, something like that? Two days, that right? I felt sick for about three days. But I'm really fine. Now I'm not saying it's not something to worry about. You ought to be concerned about COVID. You ought to take care. of it. But grateful for you, Robert and Betty. Thank you for your great smiles, always encouraging, and uh, great to have you as a part of us. So yeah, what we want to do is make him known. We're at a series called Be the House. What we're trying to understand: is how am I the place? Where people can connect with Jesus. How is my life that place? Not just a structure, but the actual being, my body, my life. How does it help people connect with God? Just like the temple did, because Paul told us, Jesus told us, that our bodies are the temple. We are the temple. How do I get to be the house? And we're in the series in Ezra and Nehemiah about the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. Three themes, and I hope by the time we get to this series, you've got this memorized, um, and that is that God is sort of in control. Amen? God is partially in control, right, Jim Bass? He's just sort of in... No, He is firmly in control. He's firmly in control, and you may hear that and go, Man, I, I wish He'd take more control. We have got to get in our heads that God's in control, and we've got to be trusting Him with everything that happens. And secondly, that God works through his people like Lenore Tarazi right over here in the back as on our healthcare work. Hi, Lenore. Good to see you. Um, God works through his people to what? Accomplish his purpose. That's what he does. So if you're a follower of Jesus, he wants to work through you. And he has a plan, a purpose, and uh, I'm looking out here. I'm looking, I'm naming names today. Cassie Bradley led children's ministry today, children's worship in the first service. Way to go. And uh, we had some distractions I heard, rap music and a cat. It's outside worship, not a problem for you, though. God wants to work through his people. And then finally, God uses his word to convict and encourage. When we come into God's word and we look at what God's word says, there's, there's at least two things that are going to happen. One, and we see this in Ezra and Nehemiah, that God is going to convict us. And he's going to show us, you know what, Steve, you don't measure up here. And it's not that I'm trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to heal you, Right? I'm trying to help you connect with me. I'm trying to heal the things that are a problem. So he convicts, and when we repent, he does what? He encourages. A great sense of joy. You know, I know that there's only one or two people in here who are sinless. Um, now, actually, none of us are sinless, right? But God convicts, and then he encourages. Never be afraid of repentance. It's the cure right? When I come before Him and say, God, I just need to repent. I, I don't know why, what I was thinking. Why was I living that way? I just, I just want to be cleansed, and then I want to have that joy return, as David says, return to me the joy of my salvation. So that's what we're talking about, be the house. And today, the message is entitled, The Restoration. This is the restoration of worship or the restart of worship. We think about worship, we think about coming to the house of the Lord, It's also something we're going to see in this passage today that you may not connect with worship, and that is fear, and fear's role in moving us to worship. What are you afraid of today, and how do you respond to your fears? When I was a 9- or 10-year-old kid, maybe 11, maybe 12, maybe older, my parents took us to Colorado to the Royal Gorge. Anybody been to the Royal Gorge? Wow. Nobody. Well, it's this really steep, hey Kathy, really steep crack in the earth, and it's in Colorado, and it's a thousand feet deep, and it's really beautiful, but if you're 10 years old, it's really scary. And my parents took us out there, and there's this bridge that goes across the Royal Gorge, and it's a suspension bridge, which means it hangs literally by a few strings. Right? I mean, it looks like they just took some twine, they wrapped it together but there's actually big steel cables. But it's a bridge. It's 1,200 feet long, 1,000 feet high, and it goes across this incredibly beautiful gorge. And as you're you're there, you're looking at this bridge, and my parents say, okay, we're all kids. We're all going to walk across the bridge together. And there's cars driving across this bridge, and it moves. It moves. It actually kind of sways a little bit like this. And when a car goes by, it kind of goes like this. And you can look down, and there's like planks and there's cracks between these these planks. There's gaps in there that are like, I don't know, like this, but probably like this. But you're looking down, and you can see the gorge through the bridge. This cannot be right. And as a 12-year-old, maybe 18, I don't know, somewhere in there, I don't know for sure, but I'm looking down, and I'm thinking, this is not good. And these cables that are this big around or so could just snap. And we all go plummeting to the, to the, whole, to the bottom, to this river down there. We're going to die. And my siblings, who are generally normal people, intelligent. And my parents, who are intelligent, they're just walking along. Hey, it's great. We're just walking. Everything's great. But I wisely decided there was a better way. And so I walk like this. And I thought that when those cables start to break, which they will, I'm going to grab onto something, and I'm going to go swinging down through, and I'm going to climb back up the bridge, and I'm going to be fine. Everyone else is going to be dead. That was my theory. And so they have pictures of me doing this, walking across like this. And my siblings graciously made fun of me for the rest of my life about that. That's ridiculous, isn't it? It's ridiculous. I fear of heights. I actually didn't have a fear of heights. I had a fear of falling and stopping quickly at the bottom, right? But it's ridiculous to think that I could actually do something if the bridge collapses, right? I ruined the whole experience out of fear. And I just wonder today, are there fears in your life that has you kind of figuratively walking across life like this? And you're looking just to grab something when things start to fall apart. When things you can't stop, things you can't change begin to happen, are you sitting there going, I've got to to be ready. I can't be enjoying this. I'm missing all the scenery because I'm afraid of what's going to happen. What does fear move you to do? What does fear move you to do? So we're going to see in this passage that fear plays a big role in worship, and worship plays a big role in fear. Look with me, Ezra, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Esther, Ezra, excuse me, Ezra, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And this is the story of them actually resuming worship. And remember where we are in Ezra, the children of Israel have, there's been a remnant that's come back. There's probably at this point around 2 million uh, Jews in the world, and about 50,000 gather back at Jerusalem as God moved in the heart. Remember, he stirred in the heart of Cyrus, a pagan king, to say, Go build a temple to me. Go build a temple. And he moves in his heart, and people moves in the people's heart, and they come back to Jerusalem. But about 50,000 of them. Read with me, Ezra chapter 3. We'll read the passage, and we'll come back and talk about it. Ezra chapter 3, verse 1, When the seventh month came... And the children of Israel were in the towns. The people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Yeshua, the son of Jazadak, and his fellow priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar in its place, for fear was on them, because of the peoples of the land. Sound familiar? Anyone? Fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. And they kept the feast of booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the rule, as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings at the new moon, at all the appointed feasts of the Lord, and the offerings of anyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So here they are coming back to worship. They'd been separated from the place of worship. They'd been in Babylon because of their sin. God had exiled them, and they'd been away for 50 to 70 years. And then God brought them Brought them back to worship to a place where they could worship appropriately the way the way that God had intended them to worship. In verse one, it says, the seventh month came. I love them when the Bible makes that kind of a, a very specific statement. The seventh month. Now the seventh month was the most important month of worship in the Hebrew calendar. Because in the seventh month, it would begin on the first with the feast of trumpets, and there would be this, they would blow the trumpets, and it would be a very solemn day. Of worship. And then on the 15th would be the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, when there would be sacrifice offered for sin. There would be great repentance. And then after that, the, from the 15th to the 21st, would be the days of the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. And they would literally like build booths and uh, tents in Jerusalem. And they would stay there and they would remember how God had cared for them when they were in the wilderness. And then they would celebrate how God had rescued them, from, had brought them through the wilderness, and had brought them into the land. So the seventh month is a very, very big month for worship. And that's the month when they begin to worship. This was also the month, incidentally, uh, when Solomon had dedicated the first temple. So this is a very big time, and they were about to begin to worship again. It says they were in the towns, and they were in the places. God had moved them from Babylon to Jerusalem, and they're in position to worship. Let me ask you, are you in position to worship? Is God stirred in your heart? So we don't just worship just because we feel like it. We worship because God stirs up our heart. Really, we only have the ability to come before the Lord because Jesus has saved us, Right? Because he's stirred up our hearts and said, I, I want you to be my child. And, and there's this overwhelming sense of, 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 of need to repent and to have faith. say, so, said, Jesus, I believe in that what you did on the cross can count for me. I, I'm in position to worship because you've stirred me up. Because you've moved me from where I was to where you want me to be. And then it says, the people gathered as one man. They gathered as one man. They gathered in unity. They gathered together saying, we have the same purpose. Remember last week we talked about all the different kinds of people that God called. They're all children of Israel, uh, but some foreigners as well. And God calls all these different kinds of people. He calls priests. He calls normal people. Praise the Lord for that, right? Normal people with no really designation other than they're just people. He calls the rich, he calls the poor, he calls the temple workers, he calls the Levites, calls all kinds of people, but they come as one man. It's so important to be unified with the local church, the local body, to come together in unity to worship, to say, I, I love you all. We, have, we come from different places. We have different experiences. We have different education levels. We have different socioeconomic levels, different different ethnicities, different nationalities. We come before the Lord. We come to Jesus as one person, saying, Jesus Christ is absolutely the most important issue in my life. It's more important than my politics. Amen. It's more important than my citizenship. Amen. It's more important than any other issue. That Jesus Christ is, becomes known. That's why that's our vision. That came in unity as one man. And let me say this, only God could do that. Right? When there's unity, only God could cause that to happen. Because we all have our own ideas, right? We're coming saying, Jesus, you're the most important thing. We're coming in unity. See, God stirs his people to worship in unity. Verses 2 and 3 say this, and we see that, that there arose Yeshua, the, the son of Josadak, the, the fellow priest. He was the probably the chief priest at the time, and he rises up and along with Zerubbabel, who was the, king's, the last king of Israel's grandson, and they build the altar of the Lord uh, to offer burnt offerings, as it is written by the law of Moses. They're following what God had prescribed, um, and they offer those offerings offerings morning and evening. Don't you love it? He didn't just say, hey, you know, we're going to start worship, and we're just going to do it once a week. We're only really going to think about God on Saturday or on Sunday. We're only going to do it occasionally. I love that they initiated worship, and they did it every day. Every day. See, it's not enough just to come on a Sunday and go, or maybe a couple of times a month to say, hey, I want to worship God today. No, every day belongs to Him. They did these burnt offerings. These were were offerings that would be offerings of consecration. They'd burn the entire offering, and it was designed to say, God, you own it all. I'm trusting you with all of my day, all of my challenges. I'm coming to you to worship on a daily basis. How many days go by without prayer for you? How many days go by without a real connection with Jesus? You may have thought about it. Maybe you listened to a Christian song, and that counted, right? Man, I heard that Christian song. That was good for me. That was good. How many days go by without that connection time with the Lord, without that worship saying, you're the God that I worship. I trust you with everything. See, worship should be a daily thing. But the stunning part of this verse that really gets me is is verse 3 where he says, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. They are coming to worship. They are moved to worship daily, and they are moved to keep all the feasts. Why? Because there are real fear. There were things in their land, there were peoples in the land who wanted to destroy them, who didn't like them being there, who had likely used that same site of the altar to worship all kinds of different gods. They were in the way. Children of Israel came, and they were a problem, and we'll see in chapter 4. They wanted to get rid of them. They wanted to stop them, destroy them, whatever they had to do to stop God's people from worshiping as God prescribed. There was fear on them. Let me ask you, is there fear in your life today? What are you afraid of? Maybe you're afraid of the virus. Maybe you're afraid of the vaccine. Maybe you're afraid of getting the vaccine. Maybe you're afraid of the future. Where am I going? Will I be taken care of? What's my next step? Maybe you're afraid of being ostracized and not having the right ideas or or you're afraid of something that someone posted or someone commented something that you posted. Maybe there's just this constant fear in your life. What are you doing with that? See, this fear that they had of the people around them, it drove them to worship. See, in worship, we trade the fear of what we can handle for trust in Jesus to handle it. See, we trade the fear of the things that I can't handle. We we give that to Jesus and we get back. We say, Jesus, you're going to have to handle this. I don't have the ability to take care of this. You're going to have to handle this. And I would say this is happening in every life in here today. There's things you're like, I don't know if this happens, how I'm going to deal with it. I don't know how I'm going to fix this. But in worship, we come before the Lord to say, you're going to have to handle this. You're going to have to handle this. And Psalms is full of these references. And I've just got to share a few this morning. Psalms chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Preserve me, O God. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. See enough? Are you taking refuge in Him today? Whatever's happening, are you taking refuge in Him? Psalm 18, 2 and 3 says this The Lord is my rock. And my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I'm saved from my enemies. See that picture of rock of stronghold. That's where they would go to hide from their enemies and to be able to make a stand. They would actually have fortresses within the rocks and within the mountains and they would go and that's where, that's where God, they see God as the place of safety and security. Are you going to him as your rock? Are you worshiping him saying, God, you're great. You can take care of this. I'm just going to come hide. I just need to come hide. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light. Maybe I need to see things a little differently. God, I need to see light. In the dark, I can't see anything. I remember as a kid, I was so afraid of the dark. I guess I was a fearful kid, maybe. And I was afraid it would get dark and that, that the robber would not be able to get the front door. And my window was next to the front door. That he'd come in there. I don't know what he was getting, didn't have anything. But I was so afraid of the dark. And my dad would say, son, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love, and of a sound mind. 2 Timothy 1, 7. I need your light, Lord. You're my light and my salvation. Nothing else can save save me but you. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Is there someone in your life that's making you afraid? God, you're my light. You're my salvation. Psalm 41 through 3. I waited patiently. Anybody waiting today? Don't raise your hand, but... Just waiting. We're waiting. God, waiting for the next thing, waiting for COVID to be. We're just waiting. God, I waited patiently for you. He inclined to me, He heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see that? Instead, of he takes his fear to God and leaves worshiping. God, I'm trusting you. This is what I have. This is what I'm afraid of. And you leave with a new song in your heart. Verse, Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is Present. He's not far off. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved at the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Worship. I bring my fear to God in worship. Marva Dawn, in her book, Keeping the Sabbath Holy, says this, Concentrating on God's lordship in our lives enables us to return to His sovereign hands All the things that are beyond our control and terrifying us. Once those things are safely there, and as long as we don't stupidly take them back again, our emotions can find truly comforting and healing rest. Do you need rest from your fears? Rest from your anxieties? She says, put them in the hands of the Lord in worship. How do we worship? Verses 4 through 6. How do we worship? It says they kept the feast of the booths. They kept the, all the feasts that had been prescribed uh, in, the, in the law. And they offered these burnt offerings. And they, um, they did the Day of Atonement. They, they repented. They remembered. They sacrificed. And they celebrated. They celebrated. Sacrifice to say, God, I'm giving you everything I have. I'm giving my money. I'm giving my time. I'm remembering what you've done. It's so important that we remember. We remember all that God has done. Fifty years ago, this week, something amazing happened in my life. For those of you at home, I was baptized. That's me, really, it is. You can't believe it, can you? I was a goofy kid, amen? Amen. Doesn't he look like he'd be afraid of a suspension bridge? (laughs) I think so. Fifty years ago, God saved me. I was baptized. I grew up. Got to walk with Jesus. Given a wonderful, godly wife and three great kids. Seeing God be faithful through all these years. We need to remember we need to repent. We need to celebrate. That's what worship is. We need to stop sometimes and just, just recount all that God has done. We talked about last week how we stand on the shoulders of so many people over the last 113 years here at this church that have been faithful, <clears throat> Excuse me, like the Gravens and like many others, Alan Pignato, Bivens, uh, so many others, Batson, Underwood. We need to celebrate. This is what God has done. Remember how he has cared for us, how he has saved us, how he has rescued us, how he's kept us from walking off the edge at times. Worship is sacrifice, remembering, repenting, celebrating. Well, let me ask you, how are you doing with your fears? How are you handling them? Are you walking like this through life and you're just ready to grab onto something? You're constantly afraid that something's going to break. And you're living a fearful life? Or are you living a worshipful life? It's not wrong to be afraid. There's some dangerous things. What's wrong is if we don't take those to Jesus and worship. And we miss what our lives could be like. Because it's a dangerous world. It really is. And it's it's likely going to get more dangerous for a follower of Jesus. You are not going to be liked. But it doesn't need to take our joy away. Because Jesus is the one who gives us that joy in exchange for our fears. You say, well, Steve, I don't really know what the problem is, but I just can't get over my fears, and I feel like I'm worshiping. Let's just review really quick. Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you received the gift of salvation? Have you responded to the call of Jesus to be His child? That's the first question. Has He stirred you up, and have you responded? Not have you always been in church, but have you responded to the call of Jesus Christ to be his child? Repented of sin, received his salvation, been baptized. Are you in unity with a local church? Are you with a local church worshiping together on a regular basis? Are you in unity with a local church? Are you repentant? Is that a a part of your life on a normal basis? We can get as followers of Jesus and think, well, you know what? I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. I really have some little issues, but I really don't worry about those too much. And I've set my life out. No, listen, the follower of Jesus should be a repentant life. It should be a normal thing. If you need to know what your sin is, ask your spouse, amen? Or your good friend, open the word of God. God, I, I want to live a repentant life and recognize that I don't arrive, I just follow. I just follow you. Are you sacrificing? Is there sacrifice in giving? Is there a sacrifice in time? God, I, I really want to be a part of what you're doing. Are you remembering? Are you celebrating? Is this your life? Any one of these things can kind of trip us up in our worship, and we wind up living with our fears. You see, the dangers of this world should move us to worship. The dangers and the fears and the anxieties and the challenges of this world should move us to worship. Is that where you are? Is that where you are? Or honestly, is your life really more characterized by fear, anxiety? Where are you? See, God didn't give you the spirit of fear. He gave you the spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. He wants his people to live in the reality of the dangers of this world. But in the midst of that, to bring those fears to him in worship. Restore worship and trade your fear for trust. God, I want to trust you even though I can't understand it. I can't control what's happening. There's stuff going on I I have no control over. I trust you with it, Lord. Because when we restore worship and when we trade fear for trust, we can be the house. We can be the place where people encounter Jesus. What an amazing life we get to live. See, fear shouldn't make us feel bad and 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 have a bad life and be sad. Fear should bring us to the place of worship. You're my rock. You're the one who pulls me out of the ditch. You're the one who restores my joy. You're the one who gives me a new song. What about you today? Is God bringing you back to the heart of worship? In a minute, we're gonna sing that song. Is it all about Him? Is it all about him or have the fears of this world stopped your worship? It's not wrong to be afraid. It's just wrong to hold on to those fears and not come to him and say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to trust you with what I can't control. You're the only one who can fix this. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make Him known. We cry out, we cry out.